a, a difficult situation. And you and I, we're like everybody else. We don't fear, as believers, we don't fear dying, but the process of death is terrorizing for some. Um, let me continue on. Death for the family and friends, it's not easy as well. Even if they're saved, there's going to be the difficulty. And we hear this at times that some people say, why do the believers, why are they so crushed by the death of a loved one? They have the hope of reunion. Because of the intermittent time that your life is going to change, there is not going to be a new normal, or there's not going to, anything's going to be normal. You're going into a new normal. It's very, very difficult. And so we can be confident of our destiny, and yet it's going to be a difficult time for many people. We pre- prepare then at this time. We get our houses in order. We're going to be talking more about that specific here this morning. We make preparations for those that we are leaving behind. As hard as it is, we understand that God can use this experience in my life, your life, unbelievers' lives to draw them to a closer walk with Him, like He did with, John, uh, with uh, Lazarus's death and used it for salvation as well as for building up the believers. Our goal while we're here is to be ministering one to another for those individuals who are going through this experience. So we want to talk about it in, a, in, in this morning and this evening we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to do a panel discussion. Uh, we have like eight different individuals who have agreed to be a part of it. We're, there's a number of others who said they would but they weren't going to be able to be here. Others who said they don't emotionally think they can sit up here and answer questions. I'm not opening it up to the floor but rather I've given them about 25 different questions or so that they can answer and we can then during the course of about a uh, 40-45 minute time just hear from individuals and get some practical advice from one another. And so we'll do that in, in our service this evening and then we'll go into our communion service but this will be a practical time of talking about what we should do, what we can help, how we can help individuals immediately, what are some of those things that we avoid, what are some of those things in, that we can do and hearing it from individuals who have gone through that situation. We talked last week about terminal illnesses. We spent some time. What do you do in that situation? When do you make the decision? When you make that decision, then um, what can you expect? If you're dealing with somebody and providing care, what's that going to be like? How to help those neighbors, those family members who are going through that? Here's where I want to shift this morning. We'll get as far as we can this morning, cover some tonight, and then I'm going to shift it to Wednesday night so I can wrap this up before we head to Portugal. The, uh, is there anything we can do to make this inevitable time easier for our family? I know this is a dismal, discouraging topic, but it doesn't have to be. This can be a topic you can use in your family to help draw one another closer to Jesus Christ. Let me make several observations. I think this number one is don't avoid exposing yourself and your family to the reality of death. Part of life is death. It came because of the fall. I understand that. It is something that is called in scriptures the king of terror, but that doesn't mean we should avoid it. There's a reason why some of you avoid going to nursing homes because you may have had an experience, you may have had an, uh, something happen in your childhood or you heard real, real negative things about it and as a result you don't minister that way by going to those individuals just because it was a bad experience. That's unfortunate because that's a whole area of ministry that is really vital. So is going and helping people who have had death. But you may have had an experience in your, in your childhood or what is um, what is more disconcerting from my perspective is you've been sheltered. Some parents have sheltered their kids from any reality of death so that when it finally happens they don't know how to cope with it and it totally messes with their head, their spirit, and their being because it is such a shocking experience. That doesn't have to be that way. And as believers, what we can do is we can minister to our family ahead of time. We can talk about it. We can mention it. We can make it a part of, and I'm not talking an every night supper, but there are opportunities. The, the reason we had goldfish in our house, okay, it is, it pre- creates a teachable moment, okay, the reason we don't have plants in our house, it would be too many teachable moments because I'd kill them all. But there's these, it doesn't have to be morbid conversation, but uh, as parents, we, we opted to do this. We thought it was important for our kids to be able to minister to individuals, so it was important to take them to, to add, uh, periodic times to a funeral service so that the first one they got to wasn't a stunning, shocking situation, but they were already prepared. They knew how to walk up to the people. They knew some of the things. No, we didn't take them up to the casket and do the show-and-tell thing. We were trying to be cautious, but we wanted to make this a part of their life that they would say, okay, this is important to minister to 
people going through this experience. And so we talk about what happens. We use the experiences. And folk, you've got plenty of those opportunities in the last two years in this church of individuals who have gone through that or individuals who need encouragement or even seeing the widows afterwards to go and minister to them to encourage them. And so be careful, but don't, don't alienate, don't isolate your family members from this topic as, as difficult as it is. It is a part of life. Let's prepare. Let's make sure that they understand that this is in God's plan. This is the way that we access into eternity. This is the route we will take unless he miraculously intervenes and there's the rapture. So you model it. Show it to your children in the sense of how to minister to one another. Here's another thought. Uh, oh, I knew I wanted to pause here for a second. There are, and I'm going to leave them up here, there are a variety of different tidbits of literature that you can use that are uh, booklets that talk about uh, somebody passing away. Some of these are brought from an evangelical point of view. Some are provided by non-evangelical point of view. But there's one that even comes from um, one of the, from the funeral home. And it does a really good job talking about it with children. There's a, a booklet that's put together by a Christian woman speaker, Elizabeth Franklin. And it talks about and gives the experience of a little boy going through the experience of his losing a grandfather. And it gives a real positive situation. But there's other individuals, other booklets that we'll just lay up here. And parents, they range from a variety of different ages of youngsters that you could look at. And those are not free for the taking, but rather what they are is available for that if you want to check out the um, IBSN number, ISBN number uh, or those types of things, feel free to grab that and use it as a teaching tool to talk with your children. Here's something else you need to do is make adequate provision for your family. What we mean by that is this. You need to make sure, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, it says, if a man provides not for his household, he is worse than a what? than an infidel. Okay, based on that, that means that even I have the obligation to provide for my wife even after I pass. How do I do that? Well, there's life insurances. And I know that like, uh, like some of you, as a young uh, couple, we said it is something so far in the future that we don't have to worry about that, that, that we can just put it off until we get older and then we can buy the insurances. The problem is, is if, uh, if all of a sudden you wait too long, it's going to be too late. As well, you want to consider some of you when you're in that mortgage period. What happens if something happened to you? What about that mortgage insurance? Though it increases that monthly payment, what about being able to take care of my wife? Could she uh, be able to stay in the home? Could he stay in the home with the kids to be able to provide for them? Here's an area that is amazing to me. I met with two different funeral directors in the last two weeks to talk with them to get a little bit of insight. They said it is still happening an awful lot that spouses do not know what is happening in the financial program of their family. There are some who don't even know bank accounts of their partner. And so you need to prepare and handle finances. I've given you the story of that situation that my grandmother had no idea how to even write a check. One of the funeral directors this week was telling me that there was a lady who came in, and this makes perfect sense to me. She and her husband had been together some 60 years. She had no idea how to pump gas. She was at the funeral home and had no clue. She knew she was on empty, but she had no idea what to do. Okay, those are practical areas that some of this we need to talk about. So you need to have your financial house in order. That is, keep your spouse informed or your family members. I as well think this through. If you have separate accounts, okay, whose names are on the account? If something were to happen to me with what little money we have in our checking account, is Deb able to access that checking account? Is her name on the account so that she is able to have living monies to keep on going until and if there is any type of insurance says, can she access the accounts? It's going to take a little bit to get the death certificate prepared. It's going to take a little bit to be, get that, that stuff all probated before she can access or somebody could access the accounts that were only in my name. And so there has to be that possibility to uh, have immediate monies for the family to be able to continue on. You need to maintain and have an updated will. I'll give you several reasons why. And again, this is one of those that we put off. We say we don't need to. But think this through, okay? Guarantees the assets get distributed. What there may be, you say there's not much, and there probably isn't in the majority of us a great amount compared to some of the individuals, but the assets need to be distributed in a way that you want them to be distributed.
distributed. If you have minor children, it is critical for you to have a will so if something happened to you, you have chosen who's going to provide the care for your children, who's going to raise them, what about the funds. You can set up the funds in a couple different ways. You can set them up in a trust. We set ours up that when our kids were still minors, we wanted to make sure that whatever we had, if something happened to us, the money went into a trust. They did not have access to that money immediately. The individual or individuals that were supposed to be providing care had access, but the kids didn't have access until they were proven to, to come to an age where we thought they would have the uh, ability and the maturity to be able to handle just uh, some type of quote-unquote windfall of cash. And so we opted that they wouldn't get it during their high school years, they wouldn't get it during their initial college years, but rather it would be after they have spent some time and already established themselves, then they would be able to access that money so that then they would be able to have more of a maturity to handle those funds. You can set it up however, but you need to set it up. Somebody just suggested this to me this morning. What they did is they asked somebody to take care of the kids and somebody else to maintain the monies that were going to be set aside for the care of the kids so that it was divided with, with multiple different counsel. That makes sense to me as well. So you want to make sure that whatever you're doing, you've thought through, especially if you have minors. You need to provide protection for your spouse. You need to reduce delays and squabbles between the heirs. I know it would never happen in any of our families that there would be difficulties over who gets what. Hmm. It happens a lot, and it happens even when people get involved with making major decisions in this area. I'm amazed how many uh, will have conflicts that will never go away as to who made a decision about the funeral, about this, that, and the other thing. So it provides an opportunity. To me, this is your critical moment. It provides an opportunity to witness and invest in God's work again. Most of us, we're going to be able to invest more in God's work when we're dead than when we're alive. Okay, just because of the accessibility to the funds. And so I want to make sure that my opportunity, even my death, it provides a witness and it, and it makes sure that the, there's monies there that can even be put into the Lord's work. You have to identify an executor, so that means you want to be able to uh, say with this, which individual do I implicitly trust to maintain operations uh, over my funds, my assets, to make sure that they have the same philosophy, same goal in taking care of these items that I do. There's something else, just keep this in mind, okay? It may not be the same in every community, but if you have power of attorney over an individual, over a parent, do keep this in mind that when they pass away in this area, your power of attorney stops, Okay, it is, it is only while they are living you have that power of attorney unless you have specifically addressed it in another way in all the documents but your POA is something that is usually while the person is alive. And so that doesn't mean if you say I have power of attorney and therefore they've passed I'm just going to continue to handle their finances, their funds I'm going to sign their checks you may be getting yourself into some legal trouble. Okay, because once they passed away, in, unless it's specifically stated, your power of attorney is only while they're alive. So be careful in handling the finances and have that worked out if you accept a power of attorney abilities. Let me go a little bit further. If you have certain items that you want, we have a number of folk who have, who have um, uh, collections. And it is an amazing, you, it's, people have collections of trucks, dolls, china, collections of thimbles and thumbles and all those different things. They have collections. To whom is the collection most valuable? To buy it, the person collecting it. Yes? Now, here's the, here's the thing that has amazed me over the years. The number of individuals says, I'm making a collection, and this collection is going to be our retirement, but it's going to be in place of all the different insurances, because when I pass away, this collection is going to be worth a fortune. I've heard that multiple times. I have not seen that happen in those multiple times ever because usually the collection is overrated by the individual who's doing the collecting. Usually, here I'll, I'll tell you, and it may not be the case in your family. You may not have had this experience. I have had this experience multiple times sitting with people. The collection, a guy is collecting all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things, and they're worth a little bit of money. Okay, I'm not saying they have no value. But for the wife who has to deal with all that, they are not worth the hassle. Okay, the pressure and the, you know, what am I going to do with a basement fill? Here, here's, here's, here's the way I would collect, okay? 
my wife would probably look and say, what am I going to do with this collection of used parts that one day I might find a use for it? Okay? From her perspective, if I weren't there, what is all this excess stuff? It's junk. It's junk. And who has to take care of going through the junk? In, yeah, yeah. What would you say? Oh, Tony, yeah. Do you, do you realize how much pressure that puts on an individual? It's all junk. If it's up to Tony, it's going now. <laughs> Which, is there merit to getting rid of it beforehand? Because what does it do? You, okay, let me, if you have a collection, you should know who the best people are. Yes? You know if somebody comes walking in and says, I will give you, I'm just throwing figures, I'll give you $50,000 for this whole collection. You know whether they are giving you a what? A good offer or she doesn't have a clue what it is and I'm going to give her a third of the price. Right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Wait a minute, people would never do that. Okay, so let me throw, list out, if you have items, list out who should get them. Maybe you should consider, especially items that you say, we have, we have things that the kids made in shop class when there was a shop class back when they were chiseling out of stone. Okay, it's that old. You should determine who gets it. Why don't you give that stuff away as you're downscaling? Okay, why don't you determine and then list this stuff out. Who gets the sofa? Who gets your camera? Who gets your whatever? Who gets, you know, let, let's be where some of you guys are. Who gets the rifle? Okay, who gets the fishing rods? Who gets the snowblower? Okay, yeah. list the stuff out so that there isn't this hassle. It really would help out families because have you ever heard of somebody going in after a parent's death and kind of clearing, cleaning house? Okay, never would happen, right? Okay, and then they take it out, and then what does that do with the, with the siblings afterwards? Any tensions? Yeah, yeah, so have a plan. Have it listed out. If you're the collector, okay, you may be able to more wisely and financially profitably dispose of them in, latter, in your latter years, but make sure that someplace, somewhere, somebody has the right information, who to contact that you know is going to give a legitimate offer for those items so that your wife doesn't have to or your husband doesn't have to be stumbling and fumbling through these things because it's just such a problem that the, all the collection that you did is going to be wasted, okay? And if you want it to be helpful to your family, be helpful to your family in planning and preparing and informing ahead of time. Maintain an updated death file. Okay, here, um, fellas, I need some help. I only want to hand out a few pages, okay? So I'd like people to have this. I have 175 copies. Gentlemen, I need, to, I need help. Ushers, whoever, anybody, okay? Give me a hand, Okay. And distribute them to the folk. There should be more than enough here, okay, to get to everybody. Um, what I'm doing is I'm giving this out. It's like seven or eight pages, and we're calling it a death file. You can call it whatever you want. And it has information, and I know that if I give it out, you're going to start looking through it and not listening. So just kind of bear with me. We've given you a copy. I would use this as, what would I call it? Uh, your rough copy to get it taken care of. Here, while, while they're handing out, this is an information packet that provides for your family, for your loved ones. It provides all kinds of information. When you go into the funeral home, you need to know parents' names, where the person was, was born, the county, the state. They need to know Social Security number. If they're in the military, they need a military number. And so they need all that information. If the person passes away and you don't have that information, that's going to impact the death certificate at the funeral home. It's going to impact. Some people have uh, sat at a funeral home. They said, I know that my parents had grave sites, but I don't know where they are. You've got to figure out where this documentation is or get your hands on it ASAP because this is going to happen within the next couple days. In the midst of of dealing with the death, all of a sudden you have to go through and find a filing system that nobody, hey, hey, listen, most of us have a filing system that the only person who knows how to work it is Okay, nobody knows how to do my filing system in my office. 
okay? Maybe Deb does, but nobody, and it's not that it's a bad system, it's just one that it's unique to me. I, I am amazed uh, to try to find different things on other people's computers, okay, because it's filed. So here's a system that what you can do is you can have information, and if you page through and start looking at it, okay, just glossing through for a minute or so, there is some very personal private information here. There is bank account information. There is computer access information. There is information about passwording. There is information about your uh, pensions, your insurances. There's information about children. There's information about your military. There's all kinds of things that you would put in one secured spot, this would be your paperwork that you can work with, and then have it secured and make sure that you have this information so that if something were to happen to you, somebody who you have known and already informed could walk in, grab this document, hand it to whoever is making the decisions, and man, would their life be a whole lot easier over the next few weeks. And it helps them out immensely. Here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you use this file as a road map. It is a map of directions giving family or survivors that gives them direction where things are at. I'm going to use an illustration from years ago. Individual in our community, uh, the, the person passed away. The survivors, they knew, one of the family members knew that, they, that when they were traveling around upstate, there was a couple different banks that they had CDs in. But they couldn't remember those little hole-in-the-wall banks, the names of them, and they never got the paperwork delivered at the home because the uh, person kept everything very, very private, even from family members. The person passes away. Now it's going to be a racking your brain, where were these CDs? What bank was it in? Do you think it ever happens that there are unclaimed bank accounts? Why is that? I mean, there are millions of unclaimed, millions of unclaimed insurance dollars. Why is that? Because somebody has taken out a policy, they have, they have thought to do well, but they never communicated so that the family member is sitting there and saying, we don't know, we, how do we go about this? And if it's a dated pension for a program from a previous employment, Okay, how do they know that there was a pension program? How do they know the accessibility to it? And so the unclaimed dollars, don't let that happen to your family. Put the information where it's accessible to somebody. They have a roadmap. Make sure then that you put the stuff, uh, like we're saying, consolidate it so that somebody can take care of it. Make sure somebody knows where this document is. Don't just fill it out and then hide it away with everything else. Make sure somebody else has a copy of it, somebody you trust that can keep your records and and uh, put someplace where they have access, access to it. Store it someplace so that if there's a fire, if there's a flood, uh, you know, it's something that it isn't lost as well, but it's accessible. Somebody was telling me there's different, um, there's different areas that you can, uh, I forget, uh, Doug Gates can tell you, I forget the name of it off the top. Uh, there is an, there's a, um, um, an electronic service that he found that is very, very secured and it can take just copies of documents and, and put them in a certain spot. And you can determine that if you don't access this account within so many hours, days, weeks, whatever, it automatically sends a contact to whoever you have designated. They get a contact and they have 24 hours that if they don't respond, then it automatically opens to that person. So that if there were a crisis, it isn't locked away you know, for all eternity somewhere in the, in the Ethernet, but it is somebody is going to have some type of uh, contact and, and ability to access it after a period of time. You can set it up however, if you want more information, Doug could give that to you. What might be in there? All this stuff. All this different information as far as uh, a file that gives the uh, family members the opportunity to go and right here, this is where the information is. Now, some of you have been through this. You have been trying to find documentation, find information from a loved one who has passed away, and you know the pressure that this can create. So make it easier for your family. Have the ideas. Even put in there some of your funeral plans, your wishes. You say, well, it's all going to be in the will. You do realize that the will probably won't be open until a- and gone through until after the funeral is done. 
And so you want to plan ahead of time, inherit guidelines, passwords to different accounts, to your phone, to whatever, uh, names of the insurance people, lawyers, things of that sort, contact information, simple contact of what relatives should be contacted. Some of you know that this happens when there's, when there's multiple families in remarriage situations because of divorce or a death of a spouse, does it make it harder to contact distant relatives? Even children, that, you know, who are they? Where are they? And so that contact information is really, really critical. And so you have it. There's, an, there's a sample sheet. You can work with this. We're going to republish this into a bound type of a notebook that will be more available and accessible to you. But it gives you a lot of information. Now, here's the problem. The problem with this is to sit down, for Deb and I to sit down and go through this, one of us may have this type of response. I don't want to talk about it. It's too morbid. I don't want to talk about it. It's too morbid. If we talk about it, it's going to happen. Because you know how it is. You know, pastor talks about trials, and we always get trials. Okay? When we mention it, it's going to happen. Don't do that. Don't be superstitious. Be thoughtful of what happens in helping out, ministering to your family when you're not here. Take the time and talk about it. If we, you know, we, it might be stated this evening. If it's not stated, I'll guarantee you, I hear this frequently, I wish we had talked about these things before it happened. I wish we knew about these things and had it all worked out. Or, you know, I'll give you a couple simple ones that, that have happened multiple times. We get to the funeral home, we do the funeral plan, we got the planning, and we sit there and say, yeah, but dad, mom, whoever, it's all prepaid. And then the family finds out, no, it wasn't. The parents talked about prepaying, or they bought the cemetery plot, but they didn't prepay the rest. And that kind of sets people back. Oh, we have mortgage insurance. We have insurance that will take care of the mortgage when, if one of us passes away. And then you find out, no, I'm still paying the mortgage for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And so knowing this information, discussing it, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's helpful to the different people. Make sure of this. Make sure someone knows where this is located. Make sure you update it regularly. Just page through. Look at some of the information. It has to be updated on a regular basis and give you some ideas of how to update, looking at it, and then then making sure the resource is available and know where it is. Now, here's a couple questions that come up. Okay, you're going to get into these. What about or, uh, donating organs? If there is a death in the family, what about donating them? Here's, here's some of the, argument, the arguments against it. If I donate organs, what does that do to me in the rapture? If I've given away my, I'm, I'm going to be blunt, if I've given away my eyes, will I have them in the rapture? You're giggling, and I shouldn't, I should, I'm... What happens to your body anyway? It, it's going to decompose. It's going where? Ashes to ashes. Can God get you back your eyes? Not, not from that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. All of a sudden the rapture takes place and that person who got him all of a sudden loses him? No. 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 Okay. The, uh, I, I, I've been asked that multiple times. <laughs> okay. I don't think so. Okay. Can God reform bodies? Sure. Can he, can he restore the health of the body? Absolutely. So the organ donation isn't a matter of you're affecting your resurrection in some adverse way, but it is a way of ministering to people. So I don't see anything biblically wrong with doing this, but it's your individual choice. Okay? Um, and it's quite, part of our, it's quite part of our society anymore. Okay? This is taken from a real ad. Okay? The recycling yourself. And so, you know, there's those options. Here, here's the other one. What about cremation? Okay. When it comes to cremation, the big arguments are going to be, um, and had been for a number of generations, it had been, well, in the Bible, the only ones who burned bodies were those who were worshiping to Molech or to Ashtoreth or to others. And so that was part of the worship. And so burning the body is part of a pagan worship situation. And the, uh, going along with it, when I did some internet study to see some of the arguments against, it was then you're minimizing and hurting your resurrection of your body once again. If that's the case, then those people who died in a fire who are saved and, you know, it's, or persecuted in fire, that, that just doesn't seem valid. Um, 
I, I think this. I think it is very individualistic. I think if, an, if a believer, and this is the way we counsel, if you are comfortable with that, then that is between you and the Lord. Okay? And if you choose to do that, but you have to think and consider what about the whole family, what about the others, and what about their comfort status with it. So um, we, you know, I, I know some churches that refuse to do funerals for somebody who's cremated. We are not of that mindset at all. And if a family chooses to do that, uh, that's fine. Now, some of the reasons for this uh, go along with what we're talking about pre-planning. Let me see if I can do it in the Q&A time. Okay, see if I can give you some information. According to Pennsylvania law, who has the legal right saying the disposition of your body, of a body, a spouse, uh, a family member dies? Who, according to PA law, has the say in what's going to be happening with the body? Traditional funeral, cremation. Let's just take those two. According to Pennsylvania law, if you were to categorize these, who would be the first person to have the say? Pennsylvania law says the current spouse, yes. Who next? Children based on what? But based on age? Starting with the eldest to the youngest? No. The second person is not children based on age. See, if there's no spouse, in other words, or if the, if the spouse can't make the decision, who then do the funeral homes have to work with? What's that? I didn't even put siblings up here because they're not an option. The executor, no. Not by PA law. Not the youngest. Your first person is, this is the way the law reads, your, living, your closest living kin, and it defines that is your legal spouse, your current legal spouse, even if they're not together, even if there's a situation where they haven't been together for eons, okay? If they're still married by state law, that person has first say, even if they're not a part of their life. They've been, uh, what would we say, uh, yeah, separated, whatever, um, just by virtue of, of living that way. Then the next person or persons is all the children equally. So if there's four or five, they have to have all of them to agree. Can you see any difficulty with that? That's the state, that's the law. Okay, the law is then the children have to agree. If the children can't agree, let's just talk about cremation, traditional burial. If they can't agree, they've got to, the funeral director cannot do anything. He cannot go by majority. He cannot go by, you know, you know who's the loudest. They have to go to court. And so that's Pennsylvania law that it's set up that way. Here's another thought for you. The cost of cremation compared to traditional disposition of a body. Is it about the same anymore? Has it become more expensive? Is it about half the cost? You sure about that? It is about half the cost. Okay, now think with me about what we're talking about. A direct cremation costs typically around $3,000. Uh, the traditional funeral is six, seven thousand, but then you have to add on top of that burial plot, and depending upon the cemetery you use, if they require a vault or whatever, and those things are required by cemeteries, not by the state, as far as your vaults and things of that sort. And so, your direct cremation without any other services, because um, you know the services are dependent by the funeral home; they're dependent upon uh, what you choose. Okay, so if you just do direct cremation. It can be this inexpensive compared to where your base price of six seven. If you're doing traditional burial, because your traditional burial then would involve embalming, it involves a casket, it involves the services of the funeral home to some degree, whether you choose uh, the viewing or not. Let me go a step further. We'll answer this: true or false? According to Pennsylvania law, now in recent time, bodies must be buried in a pre-approved cemetery plot. It is false. According to the laws of Pennsylvania, you can be buried anywhere a local municipality doesn't prohibit it. That could include your backyard. Okay? One must have a permit to bury a body anywhere, now that I said, your backyard. Okay? Do you have to have a permit to do it? Yes or no? 
Some of you, the wheels are turning. Okay, can we do this? You must have a permit from the local municipality. You can't decide to take great granny and put her, you know, under the garden bed. Okay, you can't do that without a permit. But you could, if they give you a permit, you can use your own private property. According to Pennsylvania, they don't regulate this. Okay, it's municipalities. You must be buried, though. If you're burying somebody, it has to be six feet underground. You got 50-50, folk. That is false. There are no state regulations except for now the common uh, public cemeteries. The state regulates those. Otherwise, if you do something on your own, so be it. Must be buried within. If you do something on your own, you need to have a coffin-like container. True or false? That is false. There are no state regulations beyond sealing the bag. I know some of you, the wheels are really turning. We can, we can do this a whole lot less. Okay. Can you use a pine, car, a pine box, a cardboard box? Yeah. Yeah, by state law you can. Okay. Going a little bit further. You must have a permit to dig up the body. So you, you buried somebody on your, pri- on your property. You're selling the property. You probably want to say there's a grave over there. Okay. How do they get rid of that? Do, can they just dig it up? No. You have to have a permit. To get the permit, you have to show just cause, and you have to show where this body is going next and have it already secured. Okay, uh, cremains. Now we're talking about cremation, what's left. The cremains cannot be legally scattered in Pennsylvania's public waterways. That is false. There is no state law prohibiting any, any dis, uh, however you do with the, uh, with the cremains. Again, there may be some local municipality, but in our, in our immediate region, there is no, um, no laws on the books that we know of that state you can't scatter them as you would like to scatter the cremains. Funeral homes are not allowed to personally accept and hold payment for prearranged funerals. Can you prepay? Who gets the money? Who holds the money? It is not the funeral home. It is illegal for them to put it in their own accounts. It has to be put into a bank trust. Why? If the funeral home bellies up, okay, your money is secured. And so it's important to do it. In fact, you put it in a, in a trust that is basically a locked away trust. And if it's in the proper trust, if you go to a rest home, that is not part of your assets that they can come back and try to recoup some of the cost for your care. So you put it in these irrevocable trusts that it is secured money, it can't be taxed, it can't be uh, used. The family isn't supposed to be able to get to this irrevocable trust without a death certificate. And the funeral home can't touch it, nobody can touch it, the state, the medical providers. So you put it in an irrevocable trust for the safety and for the benefit of taking care of those expenses. Funeral directors must accompany the body until it's buried. So you, you go, you have them do the embalming, and you say, we will take it from here. Okay. By law, they have to stay until the body is put in the ground or taken care of, by law. So that means if you're planning a traditional service, how long does the funeral home kind of hang around for the service until everything is done and you're at the graveside? Once the graveside is done, you don't need their services. Can that affect the cost of your funeral? Because they're a business, okay? And so that that has impact. Several uh, surveys indicate the number one reason for cremations growing in America at this time, the number of them, is one of these. Which one is the number one reason? Number one reason. I'll give give you stats that help this out. California is now hitting 80% of their funerals are going cremation. Where did, it, where did that take you? Environmental concerns is the number one reason in America. Okay, helping out. True or false, according to the Pennsylvania law, a body being buried must be interred within 10 days. That's placed in the ground. It is true unless that body is refrigerated. 
it has to be interred. PA law, cremation must be done within a 24-hour period or shortly thereafter if you're not embalming it or having the body refrigerated. I know this sounds kind of gross, but does this impact when you make the decision? Do you see how it impacts if this is true? The answer is, it is true. So if you're making the decision, you've got to, you've got to have this in mind. So if, you're, if this is what you desire, you, you need to communicate this to your family because that could be a big decision. Per PA law, cremains must be dealt with, that is disseminated, taken care of within 90 days. There is no time restrictions, restraints on the cremains. Do you know anybody who keeps them in the back of their trunk? People who have them somewhere in their house, in a box, in a closet. Okay. Cremains can still pollute or contaminate the environment to a degree. That is false. They are totally sterile. That's why there is no time restrictions on them. That's why they do not say you cannot scatter them because they're a sterile uh, entity. They do not affect the environment in that regard because they've turned back to basically dust. Okay, and so that's why you can, people, can, people can take cremains and they can make um, jewelry. Yes, no? Okay, um, because of that, that reason, dealing with the cremains. So you, we're, talking about, we're talking about some of these really morbid stuff, okay? But this is stuff that somebody's got to talk about. Somebody's got to address in your home, in your family. And somebody, and I just feel that, that, you know, I know this isn't our typical Sunday school, but this is important stuff to be able to encourage you so that you can help some of the family members in some of the difficulties. Why should you prearrange? Why should you contact a funeral home? Or why should you sit down and say, here's what I want done, and write it out? One is, it's really a lot easier for the family if it's all taken care of. You're picking a traditional funeral, okay, and that's what you choose to have. You know what's really difficult moments is going to a funeral home. You go in the funeral home and you're there and you're already upset. Think of your family. They're, very, they're already upset because something happened suddenly. Now, I mean, the reality of it is just the decision-making is just absolutely overwhelming because they're trying to grieve, but they make, make all these decisions. And then they have to talk about what kind of funeral and how much money. Then they have to get up and they have to go into a room that has all kinds of displays of caskets. It could look like a furniture store or it can be just a wall and you have to make the decisions and this is, this is tough stuff. It could just be so much easier if you get there and the family who has to meet no matter what, they have to meet with the funeral director and they can just rehearse. This is what was decided, 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 decided. So much easier for the family. And talking about, I don't know, would they, what would they like? Would they like the flowers? Would they not like the flowers? Little things, little things, you know, about, you know, should we put flowers on the casket? They seem overwhelming at these moments. Some of you say, I do not want people looking at me when I'm dead. Okay. There's a number of you that say that. Well, how does your family know? You know what, what are the, is there some type of communication? I told them, don't everybody look at me when I'm dead. Okay. Okay. Sit down and write this stuff out. You get the service you want in the sense that I'm talking about the memorial, the funeral service. You can set it up. You can save money by the casket, the cemetery, the vaults, things like that by pre-planning. The reason I'm saying that is just follow along in the next couple of minutes. It may be of benefit to the family. It can all be paid off early and therefore no burden to the family. The family who is all of a sudden shocked and saying we're not going to have an income or we're missing this income, all of a sudden there's this outlay of several thousands of dollars. No matter what you do, there's an outlay of several thousands of dollars. And so it's like, okay, how are we going to handle this? It can all have been taken care of ahead of time so that there is no pressure on the family. Um, You have the information that you fill out, absolutely accurate, and then they don't have to try to rack their brain to remember your mother's name and where was your mother born. You can decide 
aside, what about memorial gifts? Can I use this as a testimony to the Lord to invest in missions or whatever? You can guarantee a clear gospel witness in the service by setting up your service ahead of time and saying, here's what I'd like to have done. Um, you can go over different things like the, uh, the, here's what you do go over, the disposition of the body, the viewing, no viewing, casket selection, choice of clothing, selection of cemetery. Boy, this sounds really mundane and, uh, and morbid. Selection of a vault. By the way, the selection of the vault is not typically your, deci- your choice. It is based upon the funeral, uh, the cemetery. Because um, some cemeteries, they would have the vault that here's your casket and just kind of a box over. Some of them want a completely self-contained vault where you have the base, the casket goes, and then it comes over. And it all depends on your cemetery, what they require. Um, and so depending upon the choice of cemetery, you may not have any choice whatsoever. Flowers, contributions, type of service, all these things. Now, the payments for funeral expenses, some of you have already had, you've done this or you've had parents. Can I, can I give you some, some cautions here? On pre-planning payments, if you're going to go and talk, make sure of a couple things. Make sure that the contract reads guaranteed that it says that the funeral price is guaranteed. Here's why. There are some funeral homes that do prepayment and they say, here's the cost of it. If they don't have it stated somewhere that it's guaranteed, then they could add charges if it's 10 years later. What about the inflation prices? If they have it stated that it's a guaranteed payment, then typically that means that no matter if they have increased costs for the funeral home, the casket, different things like that, it is guaranteed it's paid 100% in full. Make sure you look for that in this contract, okay, that it says those words. You want to make sure, we already said about the irrevocable trust. This happened because of the funeral homes in uh, Pennsylvania. There was a couple of them that they were, they were embezzling the money, basically, from people who had prepaid. And so you want that irrevocable trust. One of the ways you know about that trust is you should be getting the statement from the bank that says that here is the trust that's in your family member's name. And so make sure you have, when you do the prepayment, you think about these things. Okay? And talking about funeral homes, man, there's different approaches here. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We have one funeral home that I've seen him do it twice, that he wants his money. He hits them up during the viewing. Yeah, he's pulled the people aside right in the middle of the viewing. Twice now I've seen it happen. Pull them aside and say, hey, we need a check right now, or how are we going to finish this out? Um, you're in the middle of a viewing. You're in the middle of, you know, greeting people, and he's tapping you on the shoulder. You know, do you, you know, the one person, he said, do you have a credit card? It's like, I'd like to pull something else out of the pocket, whack it, you know, at that moment for those people's sake. So be careful when you're dealing with funeral homes that you, uh, as you're planning it, that you're getting enough information. Now, if you're planning your service or you're planning a family member service, make sure you keep in mind, why are we doing this? It's very traditional here in America that we do these types of things. It's not, okay, from a Christian point of view, it's not to promote mourning, okay? It is a means of ministering to those who are surviving and trying to minister. It's not about what can I do. I've been to a couple funerals that are, that different communities do them different ways, okay? Um, I was at one funeral several number of years ago, and uh, that, that community had the funeral that they really worked at trying to, uh, the funeral home, everything about it was like, let's pull as many tears as possible. And it was a tear-jerking thing, and it was just the, the stuff that they did just kind of was so uncomfortable for the family, but it was very oriented to that community. Our community where we grew up, the viewings are set up in that community to go th- two or three nights long. Yeah, there was, a couple, there was a couple nights that they did it. When I was growing up, it was always two nights or more. And uh, it was hours for the viewing. Uh, it was like four or five hours for the viewing. That's, whoa, that gets long. Okay, but you're thinking about the family. It's for the benefit of the living. The service is all about the benefit of the living. It is a time to share the gospel. If anything, focus on sharing the gospel. It's a time to provide encouragement. Keep in mind, you don't have to do anything. There isn't something that's spelled out that says, okay, here's how we've got to do this service. You have to look and say, what is best for us? Do we have to sit a certain spot? You don't have to. Do we have to, um, do we have, to have a viewing? You don't have to. Do we have to... Um, okay. I'll, be, I'll be real blunt. Okay. Do we have to go up to the casket and say goodbye in a way, do we have to 
kiss the person? Do we have to touch the person? Do we have to pull up the, the cloth? Do we have to stand there while they close this? By the way, closing caskets are really tough. Really tough. You know they're with the Lord, but still. It's really tough. Do we have to do those things? No, 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 no. It is all very individualistic. And you keep that. I, I, I had a couple people ask me over the years. They said, we're here at the, at the uh, viewing. Is it okay if we're laughing? I've had several people say, I feel guilty that we're laughing. Well, you're reminiscing. You're telling stories. You're going to laugh. Yes, no? And by the way, laughter is a really good medicine for the heart. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. And some, some have said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I feel guilty that I'm not crying more. You're going to cry. It'll come. Okay? It'll, you'll have your moments. You're going to come to a point where you say, I wish I'd stop crying. Okay? So you don't have to do anything. Keep that in mind. Let the gospel be the primary promotion of whatever you do. Don't overload. I've mentioned this before the service. Consider your place wisely. What I mean by that is this. If you choose to do a service in a church building, think about the next time you come into the church building. Do you know why? Okay, there's a reason. This is my strong personal opinion, so I don't allow caskets in the auditorium for any funeral. The caskets are out there. And there's a reason why I do that. Because the next time you come for the service and you're sitting in here and it's your loved one or your child, what are you visualizing? You're visualizing what was there. So to help out the families, I just set it up that we're not bringing caskets into the auditorium. They can be out there. And even then, is it difficult to walk into that building? For some people it is. That's why there is a beauty to hold them in a funeral home because when's the next time you're going to go to that funeral home? When there's a funeral. And you kind of just put it at that place and it's there. Now, is there a benefit at times to doing a funeral service in a church facility? Oh, man, yes. Especially if there's a vibrant testimony for Jesus Christ and you get the gospel out and you can use it. And practically speaking, some funerals, should be, they need a bigger place. Yes? So you, know, you, you minister that way. But consider your place. Consider your audience. I mentioned this before. If you're going to do a lot of music, consider your audience. Do they know the words? Do they know the song? You want them to listen to the gospel? Don't, by virtue of the music, make them feel like they're a distant part of this. Make them to feel like this service is involving them, even something they would know they would be able to sing. Don't overextend the viewing times where it's way, it's just, it was, this is our experience with your father's funeral. It was just hours upon hours upon five hours, five hours with, and I thought it was two nights, but we did it again the next morning. But it was just an extended period that was tough. Close, close the casket before the service. If you're having a viewing, close it before the service starts, if at all possible. Why? Closing the casket's very hard. If you have, uh, if you close the casket, then you have a message of encouragement, Okay. It's helpful. If you have this message of encouragement, you're all built up and saying, they're with the Lord, they're doing great, now you have to walk up and go through one of the hardest moments. What has that done for that entire hope and message? It's kind of pulled the rug right out. So do it beforehand if at all possible. Prepare for the hardest moments or closing the casket, leaving a cemetery. If you're doing a military funeral, when they do the taps, it's moving, yes? When they fire the guns, <laughs> Okay, So prepare. Make sure you've prepared people. Do a family time afterwards, if at all possible. Do a family time. This is the ministry that we've really been focusing on as a church. We provide a meal, no expense to the individuals, to the family. Tell them to invite their friends and family. What does that get them an opportunity to do after a hard situation? They can reminisce. They can talk. They can spend time together. And their common statement is, it seems like the only time we get together anymore is, but is it good? It's very, very helpful. I'm going to pick up Wednesday night, talk some more about some of these things in a very practical way of talking in more in-depth. We'll get there. Uh, what to do when you have a loved one who is expiring, what to do when that happens. Okay? Thanks.